Welcome to the 30-Minute Ethical Leader, sponsored by the Center for Leadership Ethics in the LR College of Management at the University of Arizona. My name is Dr. Paul Melendez, and I serve as the founder for the Center for Leadership Ethics. I'm an author, professor, and a consultant. And I'm Michael Fricke, Associate Director of the Center for Leadership Ethics, faculty member in the Department of Management and Organizations, and recovering attorney. I'll be the play-by-play announcer, and my colleague Michael will be doing the color commentary. Today's guest is Sierra Garcia. She is a passionate social change leader with 17 years of experience in the nonprofit sector. She believes in the power of relationships to transform individuals, organizations, and communities. Her diverse background in operations, fund development, governance, and programming provide her with a keen understanding of how to improve internal systems and expand community impact. Sierra brings a value-driven, results-oriented, human-centered approach to SVP Tucson, where she has served as the president and CEO since January 2016. In 2011, she was recognized as one of Arizona's top 20 up-and-coming nonprofit leaders and in 2013 as one of Tucson's 40 under 40 honorees. She currently serves on the board of directors for Social Venture Partners International and is a member of Women at the Top. Sierra, welcome. We are delighted to have you. Uh, How are you doing today? Well, thank you so much for that introduction. And um, it's a pleasure to be here with both of you today. And I'm doing quite well. I'm just really excited to have this conversation with you. Well, as I said, we are just absolutely delighted to have you. The goal of the 30-Minute Ethical Leader is to memorialize the thoughts, learnings, and recommendations of seasoned leaders from our business, government, and nonprofit sectors to help inform ethical leaders of today and tomorrow. With that, let us begin. So, Sierra, what ethical behaviors are required of all leaders? This is a great question, and the more I think about it, the more I realize how complex it is. Um, I believe that the complexity of the challenges that we face requires us to move beyond a simple set of ethical rules. I think that the ethical standards of the past, which were often defined by the notion of doing what is right, or the golden rule, or the principle of integrity, which are all very important, Um, But I think they fall short in providing any real guidance for the challenges we face today. And so I think about three ethical behaviors, lean into complexity, demonstrate courage, and practice radical candor. And so I want to just kind of break down uh, what I mean by those. So when I think about lean into complexity, I think about the fact that leaders are accountable to multiple stakeholders. And we often sit at the seat of tension between the needs and desires of various groups. So in the nonprofit sector, this includes donors, staff, boards, clients, our broader community. And first and foremost, leaders need to have a willingness to lean into and embrace this complexity, which allows them to really understand the challenges, including ethical ones more fully. And so when I think of the action of leaning into complexity, it really is the practice of listening, listening to people and not being afraid of what they might say and listening to multiple groups, um, not just one group or one opinion, but to many. Um, So the next behavior is demonstrating courage. 
And we often think about courage, the courage to do the right thing. And that's definitely a part of it. At the end of the day, we have to do what is right. But before we act, we have to have the courage to be self-reflective. We have to challenge our inherent ideas and beliefs. Um, We need to question our understanding of a situation and be open to learning. And from that place of reflection, we can really root ourselves in doing what is right and making that ethical decision. And then the last behavior that I'll bring up is the practice of radical candor. And this is a phrase that was coined by Kim Scott, and she has a book of the same name. And the concept of radical candor is to care personally and challenge directly. And I think about this a lot. I actually have it up on a post-it note on the wall in my office, both at home and, and my actual office. And Kim shares that the radical candor framework as a way to manage people. And I think it extends beyond that. And I use it as a framework for many of the relationships that I hold as a leader. The work that we do in the nonprofit sector, and I imagine this extends to other sectors as well, is highly relational. We are in deep relationship with our staff, our board, our clients, our donors, and everyone is really committed and passionate about the outcomes. And so the practice of radical candor, um, of caring personally and challenging directly, is really the how I deliver my integrity and how I deliver my ethics. So after I've leaned into the complexity through the act of listening, and I've been courageously reflective, challenging my own assumptions, and from that point I've made a decision or I've set a direction, I have to communicate it clearly in a way that people can understand. And I need to bring people along. And that is where radical candor comes in. It's not about pleasing everyone, but about building the relationships and the trust and standing up for what is right, not shying away from the hard conversations. And I think it requires us as leaders to show up authentically. Sierra, I want to follow up with a quick question on the on the first of your three C's, the complexity piece, because I think it's uh, it's really interesting the way that you describe it as leaning into complexity with your, all of the many stakeholders that your organization and all of our organizations have. And I'd really like to know when you encounter some of those stakeholders that do have conflict with one another or have conflicting opinions about the direction that the organization should go. I mean, this is sort of the essence of that complexity, right? There are so many different uh, people with different um, incentives and different desires. How, how do you navigate those conflicts when your stakeholders maybe want to pull you in different directions? That is such a good question, and it's one that I and I would imagine many nonprofit leaders face um, frequently. There's a few things behind that. I think first and foremost, um, going back to having relationships that are built on trust and having relationships where, where people know I'm going to be honest and real with them has allowed me to navigate through that complexity. I often have to think about... Um, whose voice am I going to center in a decision? And I think when you dive into the conversation between different stakeholders, um, what often first present as kind of diverse opinions or diverse directions are really rooted in the um, same desire, the same desired outcome. And so if you're able and willing to dive into the conversation and really understand what's beneath it, I think you can find the commonality 
to help guide people through. But at the end of the day, we often do have to think about whose voice are we centering in our decision making um, and what stakeholders' um, voices really need to be at the table in this. So for in the nonprofit sector, you know, we're often hearing from the nonprofits and their clients, um, and then we're often hearing from donors and board members. And again, once we get into those relationships and those tough conversations, we can often find the through thread where there is a commonality and we can find our path forward. Sierra, uh, what is the biggest ethical dilemma you've faced and what did you do? So you asked for the biggest, and I am going to dive into a big one here, and it gets to Michael's question he just asked a bit. Um, and I want to start out by just setting some context. So in 2017, Social Venture Partners uh, had just completed a 10-year impact study that was actually led by the Eller College of Management. So thank you for supporting us through that. And our goal was to get um, an independent assessment of the effectiveness of our work. And our work is about building capacity in nonprofits. We are a nonprofit that builds capacity in other nonprofits. And after this process with Eller, the results validated our programming at SVP. We are good at strengthening nonprofits operationally. We are good at scaling them up. And all the nonprofits that we'd worked with had seen significant increases in key metrics, including like financial reserves and operating budgets and the number of clients they served. And it was far beyond the norm in nonprofits of comparable size or loss. So, you know, we had this moment of celebration and patting our, ourselves on the back. But what came um, as a result of this, um, we had two very different reactions from different stakeholder groups. Um, first, our donors were thrilled. It was just the validation that they needed to incentivize continued and increased giving. And so that was really exciting to see as CEO. And on the other hand, the nonprofits we work with saw this as a call to action, as a call for SVP to do more. And the message we were hearing from them was in part validating of our work. They were saying, your work is good. We need it. But they were clear that they needed us to step up and do more, and not just to do more of what we've done in the past, but to do things differently. So we really wrestled with the idea that our work is good, but it's not enough to achieve the impact we desire in our community. So we were making nonprofits bigger and stronger, but the community level challenges that we really seek to have an impact in weren't changing. And we were sitting with this tension between the real difference between how donors saw our future and how nonprofits saw our future. So from the donor lens, it's, you know, this is effective, it's proven, it's, it works, so just do more of it. But for nonprofit leaders who are tasked with solving like the biggest social challenges of our time, they were calling on us to think and act bigger. And we dug into this and really we had two clear paths. So one was do more of what we do well, just like scale up our current programming. And quite frankly, this was the easier path. It was one we knew well and we could do with little risk to the organization. And there was immediate donor interest and to some degree, even some donor pressure to move in this direction. And then the second path was to take on a new initiative. And this had more risk for us. We would be building new programs and we would be taking on challenges we had not in the path, past. 
Um, and this path was really a call to action from our nonprofit community to deliver additional programming that they needed, specifically supporting them to work across organizations to truly drive these community-based solutions and to hold ourselves as a nonprofit capacity builder and a funder um, accountable to community level change. So this story for me illuminates like two of the biggest ethical questions um, I've had to face as a nonprofit leader, which is like, who and what are we accountable to? Um, are we accountable to our donors, our nonprofits, our community? And how do we define risk? What is the risk of using our resources to try something new that is not guaranteed? But also what is the risk to our community if we don't take action? So at the same time that I was wrestling with this from an organizational standpoint, I have to be honest with you, I was wrestling with it personally because option one was by far easier. It was the path of least resistance. Um, it would be easier for me personally. I wouldn't have to work as often or as hard. Um, clearly, clearly, you know, I, I take my job seriously and I work hard and the idea of adding something else felt much more challenging. And option two was that challenging path. It would take more time, more resources, more risk to our organization. Um, I was really aware it would stretch me as a leader to lean in and learn new things, and it would mean more demands on my time. But ultimately, first, I had to set aside what was the easier and less stressful experience for me and allowed myself to examine this from the needs of our community. And SVP decided to take on the bigger challenge and to hold ourselves accountable to a bold goal and to create change um, that our community was asking for. So, and Sierra, we didn't plan this ahead of time, but there, your answer to this question did perfectly segue from my question earlier. And I want to follow up on uh, this dilemma that you faced because the thing that popped into my mind was man, that really is a conflict between sort of uh, the vision of your organization uh, that two different stakeholder groups have. And since uh, you, in essence, did uh, choose to, you know, essentially serve the needs of the nonprofits that you work with and adopt that bigger vision, um, what, what sort of message did you send to your donors? How did you communicate this to the donors to help them understand that, you know, this is a new direction we need to go in and uh, to keep from alienating them at the same time? So as I mentioned, we made the decision that we are accountable to our community. And, and that was like the big first thing we had to wrestle with. And we are accountable to the desired social outcome we seek to create. And through that, we made the decision that we are centering nonprofit voices in our decision making. And that's an action that is now ingrained in our organization in every aspect. But while we centered the voices and the needs of our nonprofit community in our decision making, we did not leave our donors behind. We invited them in to join us in listening to our community. We invited them in to hearing directly from a group of people that they weren't hearing from our nonprofit leaders and the individuals served by those nonprofits. And we invited them to consider a new way of being in relationship with nonprofits. And so it took time. Um, I think one of the things I've learned as a leader is that change and change management take a lot of time. But the beauty of it is that we were now an aligned group between 
donors and philanthropists and our nonprofit community and how we could mutually serve this community together. And I think that's one of the most important things that we've done at SVP Tucson is bring these two groups together and allow them to focus on community voice. As I listen to your your dilemma, I, I couldn't help but reflect on something that that for many years I've given a lot of thought to, and it's what I like to refer to as these kind of moral problems in, in management. And and it's always the way I see it. You know, when when managers are are facing financial you know, performance expectations while on the same token, social performance expectations. And so your example really almost kind of fits very nicely, right? Because you've got your your donors that are, you know, saying, hey, let's scale up, right? And and yet in the same token, you've got your your broader stakeholders, right? Who who are kind of holding you and really trying to challenge you, right? To 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 take on new initiatives. And and so it's a really wonderful example. And, and I just want to kind of commend you for, for your candidness. I'd like to move to our next question. Peeking around the corner, um, what do you see as the next ethical challenge uh, facing the nonprofit sector? There are so many. Um, and I'm going to specifically talk about representation in the nonprofit community. Um, I don't know that this is the next ethical challenge, but I think it's one of many ethical challenges that we are wrestling with as a sector. No matter what background or what sector you come from, we're seeing these conversations about diversity and inclusion, Um, but this is especially prevalent in the nonprofit sector. And in our sector, a lot of influence is held by boards and donors, and yet they remain largely um, positions that are held by white, wealthy people. And um, one of the statistics that I was looking at recently is from BoardSource. They recently released a report called Leading with Intent. And the number one finding from that report is that boards are disconnected from the communities they serve. And only a third of boards place a high priority on knowledge of the community served when looking at their membership. And even less than that, place a high priority on membership within the community serve. Now, there is some hope. Um, we're actually seeing an increase of people on color, people of color on boards. Um, it grew from 16% in 2017 to 22% in 2019. So we're trending in the right direction, um, but it's still really low numbers. And when you talk to CEOs in the nonprofit sector, they are very clear that this is a priority, um, that our organizations need to have diverse voices at the table making decisions on our behalf. And the other thing I think about when I think about representation comes from the funding side. Only 8% of philanthropic funding goes to nonprofits that are led by people of color and less than 1% goes to nonprofits led by women of color. And I think we really need to wrestle with like, what does that mean? And how do we move forward as a sector that is um, really rooted in creating change and creating justice? And what are the systems at play within our own sector that need to be examined and changed for us to move forward? Sarah, I think, I mean, obviously all of our organizations uh, from here at the university to nonprofits to uh, the private sector are working through these same issues. 
And I think the way you described them and the challenges that the nonprofit sector face, I mean, they just seem so almost insurmountable when you look at numbers on a big, uh, a global scale, like, you know, the numbers you mentioned about the um, amount of investment that goes to um, nonprofits that are um, led by people of color, by women. When you take that down to a micro level and look at, you know, here in our community, uh, what are you seeing as some of the small steps that organizations acting on a local level can take to start uh, working on that problem? So in addition to you know what's happening at the national level and these numbers I shared, we are seeing people talking about this, thinking about this, and even acting upon this in our community. And so we are seeing um, boards specifically look for um, and set kind of diversification agendas um, and really diving into what does that mean to not just diversify a board, um, but to make a board inclusive. And they're recognizing it's more than just um, having representatives, but really making sure that the system and structure and culture of a board um, support all voices being heard equally. Um, we're seeing, you know, very various kind of trainings and awareness um, that's happening in boards. Um, there's a number of consultants who are leading these conversations. But another thing that we're seeing is even when organizations might not be at a point where they're diversifying their board, um, they are looking to bring in additional voices in their decision making in other ways. So perhaps having a parent or family advisory group where they can hear the voices of the families served um, and then really make sure that that's influencing their decision. And so SVP is really working with the nonprofits that we have the honor of supporting to make sure that this concept of centering family voice um, is present in all of their decision making. And I would say that we're not alone in really um, encouraging that as an initiative. Uh, Ciara, just uh, another follow-up. I'm, I'm really intrigued with your um, your example of, of representation on boards. And uh, th- there's a couple things that you mentioned that I'd like to kind of follow up on, uh, because I think that it's, it's really, um, it's very impactful given that it's coming from you as a leader of a nonprofit in, in our community. But you talked about the need for uh, board members to have a knowledge of their community served. And, and, and representing or being a member of that community serve. And, you know, I'm, I'm just curious, um, what have you seen or what have you done in a real innovative way that, that is helping to promote this? Because one of the things that, that in my experience I've, I've seen is that you, sometimes organizations have to really um, begin to manufacture uh, some some potential supply, right? So I'm seeing some organizations literally trying to develop pipelines and 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 beginning to engage the community in a very different way. And and so I'm wondering if there are some specific things that you're doing uh, with SVP or that you've seen, you know, in other nonprofits that are really kind of aspirational. Yeah. To to begin, I would say that SVP is is making progress in this space for our own organization, but I I can't in all honesty say that we have it. We're in this path of achieving this or working towards this outcome. And one of the things that I'm, I'm most proud that we have done is that we have 
taken specific decisions that might have typically been held by our board or by our donors, um, such as who receives funding and support from our organization, because we do make grants out into the community and we do layer that with our capacity building services. And we have said that we, as you know, the, the board and the donors won't make those decisions, but a group of community members who represents our community um, will make those decisions. And so that's one thing I take a lot of pride in as we are building out um, this more diverse board. And that is something that I'm seeing in other organizations as well. And I think your point about a pipeline is a really good one because um, we didn't set out to do that as a pipeline, but a natural result of that is we now have a pipeline of people that we've had the opportunity to work with who we've learned from organizationally. And now we have the opportunity to perhaps bring them into these key leadership positions to move SVP Tucson forward. Thank you, Sierra. Uh, our, our final question for uh, today, could you share a, a few thoughts that capture your philosophy on ethical leadership? So my philosophy comes down to the idea of service above self. And I view my role as CEO as one of real honor and privilege. And I try to never take for granted the responsibility that I have to our community. So this includes um, me placing the needs of the people I am in service to above my own placing the needs of SVP as an organization above my own self-interest and centering the needs of our community in every decision I make. And I think that in order to do this, um, leaders need to surround themselves with truth tellers. Uh, we have to create an environment where staff feels comfortable sharing openly and honestly with us. It is one of the most rewarding and one of the most challenging um, behaviors I commit myself to practicing. There have been times, including one recently, where I brought something forward to my team that I thought was perfect and I was passionate about. And they didn't like it. And I had to be able to sit in that space and hear them and um, take in their decision or their um, ideas and reframe my decision because ultimately they are even closer to the problems and the challenges we're trying to fix than I am. And I think we have to invite board members and investors to be honest with us, but we also have to commit to being honest with them, um, even though we know they may have power in our organizations. And I think we have to have people outside of our organizations who have no attachment to outcome, who serve as our sounding boards. Um, personally, I believe that all leaders, regardless of how experienced they are, should have a professional coach. It's been one of the most game-changing things for me as I've had to navigate um, leading an organization through change, um, many ethical um, decisions that I've had to face. And so I, I really feel like that's an important place um, for leaders um, to have an outlet. But the summary of it is my philosophy is all about service above self. Sierra, when Paul and I teach our ethics classes to our undergrads, our MBA students, everyone here uh, at Eller, you know, we always emphasize this idea of you need to have people who are willing to tell you no, people who um, can see a, a, an objective, uh, viewpoint of the decisions that you're having to make. And I think it's, it's, a, it's 
phenomenal that you have this uh, willingness to um, have people in your life that can tell you these things and you're open to it. And the thing that always strikes me is uh, I think most people would agree that this is a healthy way to lead people. And yet we still have so many uh, leaders in the private sector and the public sector and nonprofit everywhere who are um, just full of themselves, full of ego. And I'm wondering for you, was there a point in your career that this really, the light switch flipped on for you where you said, oh, this service above self is so important. Or is this just a product of how you were raised as a child? Or was there a, a moment when you said, oh, aha, this is, I, this is important. I need to focus on this. That's such a great question. And I'm, I'm really thinking back to, you know, where that comes from for me. Um, I don't know that I can pinpoint a moment, but what I can say is that when I had the opportunity to move into leadership positions, um, I really approach it from this place of, of humbleness and made a decision that if I was going to sit in one of these seats of, of privilege, that I needed to ground myself in the fact that it is a seat of privilege. and. I think it's really hard for people to see their own biases or their own, um, maybe to discern where their own interests are conflicting with that of their organizations. And so I, I made a commitment early on to have people around me who would be truth tellers. And it's hard sometimes. I mean, it can be very exhausting, I, to be honest with you. Um, but I think, you know, it is really important. And I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you're teaching that at Eller. Because there's not any one individual who knows what's right for an organization um, or right the right solution for a community. Um, but you have to be able to kind of like get through all the noise and get to what is truly the right answer when it's informed by everyone. And it takes a lot of people informing you. So I think the successes that I have, you know, had in my leadership are really just a representation of me listening to a lot of people and pulling that kind of through thread of what's ethical and right and moral and um, good for our community and moving that forward. You know, Sierra, at the uh, very beginning of our podcast, when you uh, took the first question and, you know, you, you said something that has kind of really kind of been woven throughout the, the podcast, which is the importance of listening and it it to me is is just another really good reminder that you know while communication is really diverse right most people when they think about leaders and and, and their effectiveness they usually go right to speaking right and that is certainly important but but i always like to point out and, and so does michael that it also includes things like you know reading and writing but the one area that typically gets forgotten about but for Michael and I, and I think you would agree, is probably one of the greater differentiators between good managers and, and great leaders is that capacity to listen, right? And so I think you have, you started out the podcast with, with the importance of listening and, and you found a way to just kind of reinforce it again towards the end. So I, I just want to tell you that that really resonated with, with me. Um, Sierra, I want to thank you for your candidness and, and time today. I feel like we all learned a great deal from you. Uh, I'd also like to thank my colleague, uh, Michael Fricke, and our podcast producer, uh, Mariah Brown. Uh, we look forward to everyone joining us for our next episode. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at UArizona underscore CLE. Good day.